Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. When you're being accused of being a liar, should you really tell a lie about how you found the money? Is that a good idea? That's not a good idea, right? And, and notice in verse 21 that they really made this lie believable. They used the word behold, Say, you know, came to pass. Whoa, we'll open our Behold, every man's money was in the sack. Our money, full weight. So they tell this lie with real theatrics here. I mean, we were just minding our own business when we opened our sacks, and boy, whoa, Shazam, behold, we were surprised, shocked. We found our money there. They painted this with such a realistic picture. That every, you could see every man opening his sack in the end. And when they said, behold, they're just so shocked. And then they get the picture like, and every man sat down at the end there and he just weighed out his money. Whoa, it was the exact same amount. Our money in full weight, they said. They paint this picture of the, so carefully. They're so good. They could have won the Academy Award for best actors. (laughs) Now, for them to tell this lie, was really dangerous because if they got telling this lie that they found their money then, then nothing they said would be believed. But it's very clear that they had all rehearsed this. There was no hesitation. Everybody was on board. Everybody knew their lines perfectly because their lives were on the line for being spies. So they really had to have a good reason to tell this lie. I mean, it seems so trivial. I mean, what difference does it make where and when you found the money in each man's sack? There's got to be a really good reason behind this. There's got to be a really good reason for them to risk so much for something that seems so unimportant. I mean, what difference does it make? You know, if, if they just told the truth of how each man found his money. So what do you think the reason was that they thought that they should risk their lives by telling this lie? I'll give you a hint. (laughs) What did their father say when he saw each man's money in the sack? Let's go back to the truth. The truth, when their father saw each man's money in the sack, that would be in verse 46, Genesis 42, 46. What did he say? Look at the right verse. (laughs) Look at Genesis 42, 36, and tell me what did he say when they all saw the money was in the sack? What did he say? Yeah, okay. So he says, when the money falls out on the floor there, he says, me, have you bereaved of my children? Joseph is not. That's what he said. Now, when they discovered each man's money in the sack way back home, their father blamed them for Joseph's disappearance. 
that's an inconvenient truth right now. That's an inconvenient truth about what their father said when he saw the money in each person's act there. Their father's statement about how they were responsible for Joseph's disappearance was something that it's not a good idea for that to come up now in, in Egypt. And if they had told the truth about discovering the money in the sacks back home with their father, the next question would might have been, what did your father say? <laughs> and then they would have had to come up with another lie. And I mean, they're not going to sit there and say, he blamed us for our brother's disappearance. And, <laughs> and that could lead to, oh, really? <laughs> tell me, tell me about your father's accusation about you doing away with your brother. What really did happen to your brother? <laughs> Why would your father accuse you of getting rid of your brother? They don't want to go there. They didn't want any of that to come up. So that was the question they were so afraid of having to answer. What did you do with your brother? And so they didn't want that to even get close to to the, we sold him as a slave to Egypt. Shut up. You know, (laughs) they didn't want to get there. So the best course for them, they think, we'll just lie about it all. We'll just say, we discovered it back there at the inn. Now, we understand why these brothers rehearsed and rehearsed this lie about where each man found his money. It was because these brothers were under a lot of pressure. They were under a lot of pressure, and it was coming from many sides, this pressure. I mean, the first side that this was coming from was the governor of the land. That was the immediate pressure, and they didn't know it was Joseph. And But he was putting a lot of pressure on them by accusing them of being liars and really being spies. And so, well, they had a story and about Joseph. They just said, well, he's not. And then they had another pressure from Jacob, and he's putting a lot of pressure on them for being liars because he, about what really did happen to Joseph, he just didn't buy their story about the wild beast supposedly killing Joseph. And then they had a third pressure coming on, and that was the pressure of their own consciences about Joseph. And that pressure from the consciences is seen in uh, Genesis 42.21, the previous chapter, 42.21, where it says, they said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning, see, they said one to another, this is going on back and forth between the brothers, where they said, we are verily guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. That's the pressure from their own conscience. It's exhausting to try to silence the conscience. But the worst pressure come from the side of God. That's God. And God is just Like they said, he's just not letting us get away with it. This was over 20 years ago. This was like, I forgot, 22, 23 years ago. It was a long time ago. And they're just getting exhausted under all this pressure, but especially they're getting exhausted by refusing to acknowledge God had a hold of them and wasn't going to let them go. You know, it's interesting about all these verses we read that apart from that one back there in the previous chapter, God's not mentioned. Well, no, we don't want to talk about God. But God is becoming more and more obvious to them that he's behind all these troubles. And finally, it's coming when Judah is going to finally break and crack under all the pressure in the next chapter, in chapter 44, 16, Genesis 44, 16, where it says, and Judah said, what shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? How shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants both we and also with whom the cup is found. It's just so amazing that Judah says, 
God has found out the iniquity of his servants. I mean, man in his blind state thinks that God can't see me. God can't see me in my sins. Like Adam, I can hide behind this tree and God doesn't see me. (laughs) So when we see these brothers under all this pressure, it shows us how sin is very oppressive. It's so hard to keep up all these front of lies and act as though I'm a good person. I'm a good person. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 15, the way of the transgressor is hard. This is the way of the transgressor under all this pressure trying to keep this whole front of lies up. It's so easy for us to fall into this trap of covering the sin, running, and the pressure only gets worse and worse as we see here in the example of these brothers as they just tell one lie after another to try to run from one pressure to another. So much better to stop running and just surrender with confession and repentance. So much easier to say, Lord, please forgive me, especially when I think foolish thoughts. Lord, I'm thinking thoughts of anger. I'm thinking thoughts of revenge. I'm thinking thoughts of lust. Please forgive me because I know Proverbs 24, 9 says, the thought of foolishness is sin. And those are the thoughts, the anger, the revenge, the lust, that are like the sins that have to be confessed. They have to be brought under the first John 1 9, 1 John 1 9 umbrella of if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right, so now they give this very detailed explanation of what happened, that that's our story and we're sticking to it. And they finish again with the conclusion in verse 21. Again, they say, you know, we're innocent. And furthermore, they again say, and we have brought it again in our hands, the money. So with that statement in verse the end there, verse 21, where he says they brought it again in our hands, you know, the money. So they're actually saying, so that's what happens, and it really doesn't matter because we brought the money back. It's in our hands. So just please take the money, and let's pretend this never happened, and we'll all go on with our lives. Now, the question is, why did they tell all this to the steward of the house? Why tell him? Why don't you just wait till the governor comes back when he comes back for lunch? I mean, after all, the steward's not going to make the final decision. The governor will. So the brother is telling all this to the steward. I mean, why not just wait till noon? The steward's coming and tell, tell the top man. And the reason is that they needed favor with the top man. They needed someone to represent them. They could see how much the governor trusted this steward. See that in verse 16 of this chapter, verse 16? When Joseph saw Benjamin, then he said to the ruler of the house, bring this man home, slay, make ready. These men are going to dine with me at noon. And then verse 17, the man did as Joseph bade. So they saw how the, the, the governor had just told him, these men are going to dine with me at noon, and the steward did everything needed. He just flew into action. They knew this steward was in the best position to persuade the governor for them. And so just as these brothers needed an intercessor to represent them to the governor, we need an intercessor to represent us before God the Father. And just as the brothers saw how pleased the governor was with the steward, and therefore they chose the steward to represent him, they chose the steward as their intercessor because they had confidence in the steward. And so the best verses that we have that that give us confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ as a steward, are these verses like Matthew 3.17. Matthew 3.17, lo, a voice from heaven say, 
this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. When we see God the Father call the Lord Jesus Christ his beloved son and then say that he's well pleased, then we say we couldn't have a better intercessor. He's perfect. We have confidence in him that he's going to be able to do, he's going to be able to do what it says in Hebrews 7.25, Hebrews 7.25, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. That's why he's able to save to the uttermost by his intercession because of his position with God the Father. And that's what these brothers were banking on, the relationship between the steward and the governor. And they were right. They were right about the good relationship. Because if you just look at the instructions that Joseph gave to the steward, he just really gave a general command, you know, prepare for lunch this afternoon. But then he says two words in verse 16, make ready, make ready. He tells him, bring a man home, you slay. But he doesn't really go into a lot of detail, you know, just says make, make ready. He doesn't go through the step by step, let me hold your hand. He doesn't say, first you set up the tables, then you set up the tables this way, then you prepare the drinks, and then you prepare each part of the meal. He doesn't do that. He didn't lead the steward by hand, step by step. He just told him the goal of what he wanted to do. He said, these men shall dine with me at noon. And that was all Joseph had to say to the steward. Because in the next verse, it says, verse 17, the man did as Joseph bade. So first we see that Joseph is not treating this man like he was a servant. He's treating this man like he was a friend. And there's a big distinction between the person who's under authority, who is viewed as a servant or a friend. And that distinction was made by the Lord Jesus in John 15, 14. John 15, 14 is where the Lord said, ye are my friends, as opposed to servants. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. This steward was a friend of Joseph because he followed through. Anyways, then the Lord Jesus said in John 15, 15, 15, 15, henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. So the Lord Jesus is making this distinction between a servant and a friend in John fifteen fifteen, The servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. So with a servant, you have to tell him exactly what to do, step by step. You don't trust him. You know, you get, make a checklist give it to him, and then check the checklist, and then check to make sure it was all done. So, you know, but you don't tell him what your ultimate goal is, but this is not what we see Joseph doing here. Joseph, with the steward of the friend, is treating him like a friend because it says, with a friend, the Lord Jesus says in John 15, 15, I've called you friends for all things that I've heard of my father, I've made unto you. So a friend who serves you, you just have to tell him what the ultimate goal is. These men shall dine with me at noon. See, that's dealing with, with people as friends, not as servants. Now, what we see Joseph doing here is what the Lord wants to do with us. He loves what the Lord wants to do with us. He wants to tell us. He wants to tell us, like this, like Joseph told the steward, here's what needs to happen. These men shall dine with me at noon. The Lord wants to tell us, here's what needs to happen. 2 Peter 3 9. 2 Peter 3 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, the Son men count slackness, but is long suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's like Joseph telling the steward, These men shall dine with me at noon. That's like God telling us, 
I don't want anyone to perish. I want everyone to come to repentance. Or 1 Timothy 2.4, 1 Timothy 2.4. It's like God saying to us, I will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. That's what God wants. He wants all men to be saved. Then he leaves it up to us. He leaves it up to us, the details for us to, how we intend to do our part to see the law saved, just as Joseph left it up to the steward of what should be done. But one thing is interesting about this steward is that he's got two titles. The first title is in verse 16. What's he called there? Verse 16. He is called the ruler of the house. And the second title in verse 16, they came near to the, to what? The steward of Joseph's house. The steward of Joseph's So this man has got the title of the ruler of the house and the steward of the house. The steward is like a servant. But when the ruler is called a steward, that's a message for us. Because first, it's a message about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he said in John 13, 14, John 13, 14, if I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you also need to wash another's feet. See, speaking of the Lord washing the feet, he's the ruler who became the servant. And second, we are called to have the mind of the Lord. We're called to have the mind of the Lord, and that's what it says in Philippians 2.5. Philippians 2.5 says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Now, the brothers finish up and they said uh, in verse 22, other money have we brought down in our hands to buy food and we cannot tell who put our money in our sacks. So that's the double money that that Jacob had told them to bring down for the next payment. So by starting off by saying we have other money, they were saying that they not only had the original money that they took, but now they brought the double money. I mean, after all, with such a high demand, who knows, maybe the food doubled in price. You know, So they, they're all covered. They're, they're ready. And again, they restate, we don't know who did this. We cannot tell who put the first money in the sacks there. It's just a big mystery. We just can't figure it out. Now, if there's one message that comes through loud and clear to the steward, it was that these boys are very very upset. They're very disturbed. And he sees that. And so in verse 23, he said, peace be unto you. Peace be to you. Fear not your God and the God of your father hath given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. And then he brought Simeon out unto them. So the servant, the steward there says to the brothers, shalom. That's what he said. Shalom. He said, peace. But you know, he, he didn't say it like how? You know, like an American Indian, you know, and say peace, you know, because he says peace and then he says God. So the steward there, he was saying that I'm wishing you the peace of God, the peace of God. And what we see the steward doing here is that he's directing their hearts to Elohim. And that's something. And then he's directing their hearts to the, to Elohim of their father. He's telling them, Look to Elohim, just like it says in Romans 15.33. Romans 15.33 says, now the God of peace be with you all. That's what he's saying. And 1 Corinthians 14.33, 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And then Philippians 4.7, the peace of God that passeth 
all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So here's the steward. He's directing them to look to Elohim and not be afraid because God has, God's good. God has good plans. Like God told the Jewish people when they were taken away, their city was burned, Jerusalem. They were taken away as slaves to Babylon. Very discouraged, very downhearted. And then God sends a message through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29, 11, Jeremiah 29, 11, when he says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, the thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. So when he told the brothers to look to Elohim, look to the God of their father, he's encouraging them to look at what God had done for their father, Jacob. I mean, he didn't just say this nebulous, you know, we'll just look to your father. He was being very specific I mean, we are now in chapter 43 of Genesis, which means that by now there are 15 chapters about Jacob and how God led Jacob and how God protected Jacob in his life. And the steward is encouraging these brothers, look back and count the blessings that came to your father Jacob and be encouraged and let that take your fear away. Essentially, what the steward is saying to these brothers is, You need God, that's what he's saying, which is the message that we should be bringing to the lost. It's a message of, you need peace, you need God, same that the steward was, see, not that shallow peace that's dependent on letting the good times roll, but it's a peace that, that's the peace the world gives. But it's the, it's not the same as the deep peace that the Lord Jesus gives, and he spoke about that in John 14, 27, John 14, 27, when he said, peace I leave with you, My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now, when you look at this scene here, I mean, here's this, this is quite a scene. This is astounding. This is remarkable. Here's a Gentile Egyptian who has turned to God. He's telling Jewish brothers who are the people of God that they need to turn to God. You know, we can imagine this Gentile Egyptian thinking to himself, These Jewish brothers, they had all the advantages. I didn't have these advantages. They had Elohim as their God, as their father's God, as their grandfather's God, and they've turned away from God. The Gentile Egyptian is saying, and I turned to their God. And the Gentile Egyptian, he could have well been thinking to himself, you know, these Jewish brothers, they should be telling me about God. They should be able to, and they should be telling me about the God of their father. But they're so far from God, they need me to tell them about their own God. They're really far from God. And how good it was for this Gentile Egyptian to be telling these Jewish brothers about God. He's the, he is an example of Romans 11.31. Romans 11.31 says, For even so have these also now not believed. He could say, even so, these also now have not believed that through your mercy, they may obtain mercy. Through the mercy of this Egyptian steward, the Jewish brothers there of Joseph should obtain mercy. It's astounding. It's astounding to see this Gentile Egyptian tell these Jewish brothers in verse 23, your God, (laughs) he's your God and the God of your father. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.com. 
www.friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Join Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown at the Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference happening in San Diego on Friday evening, February 9th and Saturday morning, February 10th at the Creation Museum in Santee, California. Learn from great Bible teachers like radio host Tom Cantor from Friendship with God, as well as world-renowned Jewish evangelist Ray Comfort, radio host Dr. Michael Brown, director of Jews for Jesus Israel Dan Sered, Friends of Israel field director Steve Herzig, Pastor Leo Giovanetti, and many others. Cost for this two-day conference is only $25, which covers all speakers, food, and materials. So register today to hear Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown, Jews for Jesus, and Friends of Israel on how we can reach the lost people of America and Israel on February 9th and 10th. Call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at reachisrael.com, reachisrael.com.